0: And welcome to a short black edition of Take It Black. I'm Jack Lattimore and I'm joined by songstress, musician, amazing person, Leah Flanagan. Hello, Leah. How are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good.
0: We're on Zoom. Um, you may be able to hear some banging and drilling and those Hi. sorts of things behind me. It's because of a massive uh, development out the backyard. So don't mind that. I mean, this is how we roll these days, right? In lockdown? Yeah. You're up in Darwin.
1: Yeah, I, I am. I'm um, in my, at my home, just a little bit out of town, about half an hour out of Darwin. And um, yeah, we occasionally hear lots of drilling and <laughs> construction, but it's actually quite peaceful. So it's nice.
0: How's the COVID restrictions, environment, climate like up there?
1: Um, it's, you know, people can't come into the NT yet. They're looking like changing that at some point. I just, uh, very soon actually. uh, But they, um, I mean, I feel bad saying this because you're in Melbourne and and I've got so many of my musician friends and so, so many people that rely on, on live performance live in Victoria where there is absolute lockdown. But here we kind of are going about our day to day and, and as long as the borders are closed, that's kind of like the only restrictions we have. Um, so we've been very, very lucky. And I feel very, I feel very grateful because I talk, like I said, I talked to friends of mine who aren't in a similar situation. And it's
0: yeah, crazy. it's weird. I talk with family up around uh, mid-north coast and north coast of New South Wales, and they seem there's not much that's changed up there, really. So it's just us in this microcosm of Melbourne that have got the lockdown. Yeah,
1: there. I mean... The pros and cons of being where it all happens, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Like
1: yeah, we, we, can, we love that we that I miss is there.
0: You know? Yeah, yeah. Now, be good. I'm looking forward to a night out here. I'll see some music at some point in the future. Not real keen on sitting down for you know those gigs, but we'll take what I can get at this point. Um, listen, I want to talk today to you about songwriting. I've been reading. Some like collections of um, lyrics for some work that I've done recently around Archie Roach. So I've read Paul Kelly's memoirs slash book of lyrics. Uh,
1: the A to Z Paul Kelly. That's the
0: one. That's the one. Um, a bit of Don Watson's lyrics and just uh, other ones that I've come across. Well, Archie's obviously. And I I used to write songs back, you know, in as an undergraduate. wasn't much good at it, but gave it a shot. Um, I don't think I ever really got my head across what's involved in writing a good song. So I thought I'd ask you, you've got a new album coming up. There's been some, I've read a bit around the, uh, the songs that you've written in that. So what, what do I need to do to write a good song?
1: Ah, the million dollar question, right? I guess if we all knew how to write a great song, we'd, um, i be retired
0: do I have to write one like Bob Dylan. Cause that's what I try to do. I feel like that is the, that's the benchmark of writing a song a Bob Dylan type song. Is that the only way to go about it?
1: No, it's not like there's so many ways you can write a song. That's great. And I think it's all that idea of, um, greatness and what makes a great song is so subjective to the listener as well. So it's, um, that's the beauty of being a creator is that, you know, um, you can kind of develop your own methods. I, I think it's important to develop your own methods and work to your strengths and then identify what your weaknesses are and then maybe challenge yourself by trying to challenge those weaknesses in, and get a bit better. But I don't know, like a Bob Dylan song is, you know, he's written some pretty bad songs too, yeah. you know, like I think, you know, Output, <laughs> <laughs> the amount of songs the guy's written, he's written yeah. some good hit bangers, you know. Um, so not to bag Bob Dylan by any means, but I think it's just, it's the journey when, you, when you're creating a song. And I think, you know, more so than just creating music, it's like creating, the, the lyric is, is so important. And the lyric and the, and the way it affects people is subjective as well, isn't it? Like, mm. what, and, you know, that lyric um, and how important it is to you at a particular time in your life might not be as significant at another particular time. So the whole idea of writing a great song is just so subjective.
0: But, yeah. Are there some building blocks that I can use? I'm yeah. thinking of Tom Waits. He wrote somewhere that you just need to invo- uh, include mention of a, a place, uh, mention some food, um, <laughs> you know, just little ingredients like that, and then that contributes to a, a great soul.
1: Oh, I know, but a man like that has just got a million stories to tell, even if they're not his, isn't it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> stories, so... I think, you know, I think when I do songwriting workshops, I always get people to start with, you know, like if you can close your eyes and you can envision the story and kind of retell it in a way, you kind of like, you're kind of creating a picture with words and with melodies so people can kind of feel where you are at the time and the place of writing it and then use your senses, you know, like how do you describe um, how do you describe a feeling or a, a particular situation using, you know, all your senses? Because essentially, you kind of you're trying to interpret that kind of spark that ignites in you at the at the time, you know, and it could be about anything. Like one of the songs on my latest record, I wrote about my broken leg.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: And it's called Baby. There's a part of me that's broken because literally, there's a, you know, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: about my broken leg, um, but I've had other people listen to that song and, and it can translate into so many different feelings, mm. and so many different situations. But when you tell them it's about your leg, you go, it sounds like it is written about your leg.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, so It stops being, being a love song or a a heartbroken song at that point.
1: Yeah. And, and then the only other tip I would be is to never kind of think that the lyric is insignificant, you know, like it's, um, the, the poetry um in writing songs is just as important as the, as um the music and creating a you know a beautiful melody and beautiful instrumentation you yep. know once those when those three things go hand in hand i think that's it's not whether you write something great it's whether to you it's special and then i think somebody else if it's special to you it's going to resonate and be special with someone else too
0: yeah you know, the musicality of a lyric is something that you know there's no point in me even trying because i can't play anything. i been trying to learn the guitar for 30 years. Um too. <laughs> <laughs> what about delivery? Do I have to consider delivery of the lyric once I've got it? How important is that?
1: Yeah, I think because that's that's a performer, right? That's the performing aspect of writing the songs. And some people that write songs, they don't like the performing aspect of it. And that's why they like to just write the songs and give them to people to perform. But I think the, ha- the hardest thing is removing yourself from that moment. Even if the song's about you, you have to remove that, that kind of thing, that's bl- the wall that's blocking you and the audience from, from feeling the, the kind of the intent behind the song. And I think that is hard. Like, that's a really hard thing to do. And I think that's why when we see our, you know, our great singer-songwriters, like you know, you talked about Uncle Arch, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm, I'm playing a gig with Dan Sultan, and I listen to people like Dan Sing and Emma and Deline. Yeah. And you just go, they're magical because their ability to interpret, um, it, it to interpret the song is, it's like that's what you call being gifted. Is, yeah. it's, it's that. You know?
0: Yeah, well, uh, recently I bumped into you over at Low Madelaide in the before times, before <laughs> like right on the edge of when, and really <laughs> yeah. COVID, just prior to COVID uh, clampdowns, and um, I, I watched Deline uh, Briscoe on stage, um, and yeah, her and both Emma was part of that performance, and just captivating. Just watching wasn't even the music; I was just watching those two in the moment
1: yeah but you know like they, they've been doing it a long time and and they just it's like they just sing from that place that's you know ethereal. very like it just it, they, they're just channeling they're at the stage in their careers now where where they just they're just they're just channeling something something else you know
0: yeah uh speaking of you know some of these Uh, high-profile or really gifted blackfellas, but also, you know, uh, other performers more broadly. Who would you say are the performers, artists that have influenced what you've done across your career?
1: Oh, like the two you mentioned, Bob Dylan, Tom Waits is a, like... So many people don't realise how much of a Tom Waits fan I am. Um, I think his. His ability for lyric writing is something that I, I, I've envied and studied a lot. You know, and be able to take like a concept and and do something cool with, you know, just yeah, like breaking the norms of what a song could really, really be. Um, I love I, I love like old musicals. <laughs> mm. I love Sesame Street, actually. You know, like one of the strongest foundations for like learning music and learning the right songs are those Sesame Street songs. They're incredible. Even i watch them now with my son and I'm like, this is, this is incredible. Like I I don't want to live on the moon and the rainbow connection. Yeah, true. Like, aren't they just the most incredible songs? Well, the theme Um, song,
0: the original theme song is fantastic, but you don't really hear it that much anymore. They've they've changed a little bit. That pretty catchy.
1: It's great, you know, and yeah, so many, um, I'm really loving this singer called Emily King at the moment. Um, she, just the songs that, yeah, I, my latest record, I was listening to a lot of her, I was listening to a lot of Big Runga, who's a New Zealand Maori mm. singer, yep. and um, a lot of Neil Finn as well. Um, you know, Neil Finn, I, you know, is a bit of a, you know, if you, if you get kind of get stuck, you just go put on some Neil Finn, put on a Crowded House record. And it's like equal parts, clever lyrics, good, clever concepts and like just ultimate musicality, you know, like. Mm. Um, yeah,
0: they did all right, I suppose.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit of a Neil Finn fan. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I'm just constantly, I think my, my taste, I'm, I, I'm always evolving. I always like to evolve what I listen to. Um, so I, um, you yep. know, it just depends what, what day of the week it is, I think.
0: Well, you wear a couple of hats around the joint as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those is with APRA AMCOS. Um, you are the, what's the title? It's like First Nations person.
1: I am the manager of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Music Office.
0: Yep. Um, so you're working pretty closely with these young ones coming through as well?
1: Yeah, I'm working. Um, it's my job to um, do my best to represent the the needs and the rights of um, our members, our Aborig- Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander members. So, from emerging to you know our senior legacy artists and everywhere in between. And um, yeah, I'm new to the new to the role. And um, there's a lot of advocacy work that comes with the, the the role, but also like trying to identify gaps within the. Um, within the music industry and where our artists are sitting and how can we strategize how to get our, um, our performers and our writers participating at a higher level, especially those that don't have um, label or management or publishing
0: yeah. um, support. Well, there'd be more and more of those coming through, wouldn't there? With um, I see so many young artists emerging, uh, just releasing their own stuff. Uh, through Spotify or becoming big on YouTube or whatever before they would have much experience within the industry or agents or anything like that so it'd be pretty important to learn them in the proper way you'd imagine
1: yeah and you know most importantly educate them about the power of their of their rights to own the owning their music you know because copyright is such a powerful thing to um for an artist to understand and know how to make it work for you because it's ultimately your legacy as well so you know it, um, if you don't have that support around you it's kind of i encourage anyone to kind of get in contact with the office and if you feel like you don't have that industry support but you still want to try and make a goal that is a as a you know well, whether it be professional or if you just want to be engaged in the writing process like you don't have to have a commercial outcome to be want to be engaged in the writing and the creation process. So it's, mm. um you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, um, um, a safe space. Switzerland, we're Switzerland. And we kind of are there to help writers become the best creators that they can be. And that's, you know, m- music business aside, like my core focus with the job is to advocate for our writers and um, make sure that, we are helping them to become the best creators in whatever field they want to go into that they can be.
0: Take so Leah, your new album, Colour by Number, it's going to be released on 16th of October. So that's pretty strategic, ready for Christmas. I know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. COVID had nothing to do with the date <laughs> <laughs> or anything.
0: Um. I read through some of the promotional material that was sent across. Uh, so, before we had a chat, and what struck me um, was around um, it's, it's a really personal al- album for you. A lot of the songs explore, like you said, your broken leg, but <laughs> yeah. um, identity as well. And it, first of all, who's your mob?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, So my family, I'm I'm from Darwin, I grew up in Darwin, but like my grandmother is from Central Australia, so from South South Central Australia, Um, and yeah, but she's stolen gens, so we Mm -hmm. grew up on the Tiwi Islands, so I am NT through and through, I've got family all the way from Tiwi all the way down to Central Australia, and everywhere in between. Uh,
0: You also recognise... Italian and Irish heritage and at least a couple of songs in in the, on the album um sort of scrutinizing that black and white heritage.
1: Yeah, I um you know, I I grew up in my family being, you know, very fair. Um so in in a town that's like Darwin, which is a, you know, bit of a redneck town, mm. you know. And um I have been able to witness a side of society that I guess a lot of my family um, experience, experience a certain side of them, but I get to witness yeah. um, the conversations and the, and the offhanded kind of dismissive attitudes of, of those that don't realise um, of the communities that I belong to. And, and um, that's a perspective that, you know, I don't feel like I've been hard done by over anyone. Like I, I just it's just a different perspective. And I've written about this stuff and songs for a long time and um I haven't really released a lot of the content. Um, mm. because I don't know, I feel like I feel like identity is something that it takes you a little bit of time to understand, you know, especially when you've been removed and you grow up removed from you know, I grew up around culture, so much culture in the Northern Territory, but like I, I never grew up practicing any of it. Yeah. Um, and um, so you kind of feel like you're on the periphery. So uh, trying to understand your identity and where you fit in the ecosystem is, um, is something that's always kind of been, you know, I've I've always thought about, and I philosophically I, I think about as well because I, you know, I I, I want to make sure that. You know any opportunity I have as a fair skinned person, I'm contributing back to the community that allowed me to have these opportunities as well. And, and I, and I, I, um, that's something that I carry with me. You know, I, I, if I can be in a situation where I can make things better for the mob, then um, I feel like I'm using my privilege, you know, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of like a lot of the, the, the things in the record I deal with. Um, even silly scenarios, you know, when you're in a conversation and someone will say something incredibly like racist in front of you and you just go, do you just,
0: like, yeah, what do you do? Like That's how do thing.
1: you <laughs> not even know that, you know, and you know, sometimes, you know, you get older and you learn to pick your battles. Yeah. You, know, you go, I'm not even going to bother dealing with this right now. Or you go, actually you're wrong. And don't you dare say anything like that in front of me ever again. Or you know yeah it's there's those types of things, but then also that whole idea of being an artist that and when the mainstream commercial music industry if you're identified as an indigenous artist to them, they are just kick you apart, you know yeah. percentages, do you speak your language?
0: does that still happen within the industry percentages and oh. blood quantum oh
1: well it's since i've been around you know you're you're only this percentage I was like what how do you know about me and also it's on my terms if I want to talk about my identity and it's on my terms Mm. at the end of the day I just write songs and that's what I've endeavored to do a majority of my career is to just write songs as someone who's evolving into themselves as, as a woman would do and, um a lot of the songs that came out on this that, have come, that are coming out on this record, they were chosen by the producer, who's um a Kiwi girl from New Zealand, and she was like, "Oh, i love I gave, I gave her a bunch of songs, and she picked she picked these ones, and she goes, "I just think it's really, really important that you share these because um I didn't know half these things about you either or that you felt mm. this about certain things, so um yeah, that's why it's two years in the rec- uh, making this record as well, so
0: yeah, yeah, right. That's a pretty long process.
1: Yeah, and some of the songs are very old. You know, they're written, you know, four or five years ago. So
0: some of my best work was done four or five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, Linen Girls. Tell us a little bit about that track.
1: Linen Girls is about that conversation. I um I remember just living in Sydney and just having um working for certain festivals and, and being around people that kind of came from a bit more of a well-to-do background, just going, well, why don't you just do this? And you go, well, those types of things just aren't an offhanded option for me um, because believe it or not, we don't all grow up with the same kind of opportunities as you do, but that's the interior monologue that you have. Hmm. And you're there and smile. <laughs> and you smile. Wow. I really don't think we're going to be, Friends or close friends will be will be civil and will be superficial work friends, that I don't think I don't think we connect.
0: And I think There's other themes explored within the album. One of those that I also want to touch on is gentrification uh, through the track Aurelia, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, you were saying before that you and drills and cranes and things going on around you up there in Darwin as well. What is it about gentrification that piques your interest?
1: <laughs> well, a bit coming from a town like Darwin that sees tourism booms and it sees mining booms and, and all of that. So, you know, the area that I grew up with, you know, went from being, you know, old Darwin to now where the, the flash houses are and mm-hmm. quite well cool to do live and... And I'll never be able to afford to live there, you know, where I grew up. And you know, the same thing living in Sydney, you know, being around Marrickville and and meeting people from that community, and and you know, they're in the same boat. And and it's it's funny, you know. I mean, it, there's there are perks that comes with gentrification too, you know. Like I'm not saying it's all bad, but it's just funny when um, the, the 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 broken things or the the things that are a little bit grimy, and a little bit underbelly of a of a place seem to be the things that um, that I feel like that's the heart, that's the mm. soul of the place. Whereas for some perspective, it's, it's the place that they, they want to get rid of. And, and I'd have that conversation with my my, my family.
0: <laughs> for me, it's really the erasure around gentrification across the, the board. I've uh, written some stuff recently that's kind of, uh blurred across into that issue of gentrification um blackfellas always seem to be the one that have moved on to allow gentrification but also within the music industry it always seems to be the music venues that suffer first yeah. when it comes to gentrification is that something that you've observed in your travels as a musician around the joint
1: uh always especially Victoria. You know, everyone wants the lifestyle. They want to be near where it's all happening and where the where the pubs are that play the live music seven nights a week, but then they don't want it then. You know, I, I don't understand that mentality.
0: Well, it's got to have an impact on the artists that are able to come through as well, surely. If there's no spots for no venues to come and perform and you know, hone your craft, then we're going to have fewer musicians, aren't we?
1: I just think that musicians are so used to this scenario that there's always going to be a way that people can play, you know, and COVID is the perfect example for that. Like musicians are like, I'm going on the internet. I'm going to play a home concert. I need to play. It's like, you can take away the venue, you can take away, you know, but people are going to find a way because it's what you do when it's all you know how to do. I mean, and that's the the sad part is that for those who... It is all they know how to do, and it's, it's how they make their, you know, their livelihood. When their venues are taken away from them, and their incomes are just taken, it's has a dramatic effect for a lot of people. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I like I said, I don't, I don't get the, the mentality of, of wanting to be so close to something and and then expect it to change.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, raises a, a relevant point are you going to tour this album and how are you going to tour it if we're still border restrictions and lockdowns and things like that? Have you got some of these lounge room gigs via zoom lined up or,
1: you know, I really loved isolate. I loved playing the isolate set, the Instagram festival. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And that's the honest truth. I, um, I, didn't know I, I actually earlier in the year I was like I did not even know if I'm gonna put this record out like you know I was feeling that that pressure and just just feeling devastated because I'd had such a beautiful tool locked in and and um yeah I wasn't in a good place with it either but um I think you know these things happen they happen and they're out of our control and the best that we can do is try and make the best out of this and this the card we've been given you know Mm. scenario that that we have and and, and, and through that I am grateful that I get to stay home and spend time with my family rather than trying to be rushing around trying to promote an album and, and, and work for Upfront and do all these things. So I'm at least I can still put the music out and then I think when we find out what happens after COVID, what, what the live music world is gonna look like, I think, you know, I'm just gonna do my best to try and make sure that I'm part of that too. So, um, but like, if, like all my peers, you know, we all, we just don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I'm hoping that um, WOMAD goes ahead again next year. Uh, it will pretty much have been 12 months um, since WOMAD LA'd finished, pretty much went into lockdown at the end of that week. And I'm hoping that that will be the first festival or the first gigs that I'm able to get to when it rolls around again in March, 2021. Um, and I hope to see you there, Leah Flanagan. Me too.
1: I hope to see you there. I hope I'm there. I hope we're there.
0: Hope you it's on. Performing, I Get to see you yeah. <laughs> performing this album, That'd be good. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us for this short black and, um, listeners, you can, subscribe using your preferred podcast listening app or throw us a follow over on twitter at take it black and join the conversation with the hashtag take it black until then we'll catch you next time round, and take it black always
1: love, always love